0: welcome 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 you may be seated and if you have your bibles uh, please please open with with me to the book of romans the book of romans we're continuing on in our series this morning um how to uh this entire series i believe that the lord has given to me uh as as a a time to instruct our church and how the church is supposed to uh, be here as an example amongst ourselves and how that affects everything else outside of here. And we talked last week uh, about the topic of love and how do we love one another. And today I'm going to talk about probably uh, one of the more difficult topics that I will be discussing is how we receive One another, how do we receive one another? So we're gonna be in Romans chapter 14 today and for those of you who came through uh, the Romans Bible study that ended just a few short weeks ago, uh, you're probably gonna hear some things that I addressed in that Bible study uh, but I do not want for you to turn me out at all um, as as I go and walk through this because we as an entire church body need to learn something uh, from today. Now as a believer in Christ, Uh, I don't know about you, but could I get a show of hands um, if you agree with this statement? We love the fact that in Christ we are set free. If you're a believer and you did not raise your hand, um, we have a problem. We have a problem. Let's try that again. How many of you, balcony included, how many of you in here would raise your hand and say, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I love that I am set free. I love that I am set free. Um, John wrote Jesus' words in John chapter 8 that says, So if the Son set you free, you will be free indeed. True freedom is found only in Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in this, and really we should rejoice in the fact that we are free in Jesus Christ. But the problem comes in when Christians, when we as Christians, reject those that Christ has freed. When we reject those that Christ has freed. When, as believers, we, for whatever reason, allow our preferences and our differences to determine whether or not we will accept someone or we will receive them. It was, it was Romans chapter 15, verse 7, that says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, what's hard to understand is that while we have been accepted by Christ, Too many Christians have had unpleasant and even awful experiences of being rejected by spiritual family. I'm talking about being rejected by the church. Now, many many a church and many a Christians have been on the receiving end of rejection. Amen? Many have been on the receiving end of rejection. And likewise, many Christians have been on the giving side of that rejection. Many of our congregations today, unfortunately, here in America are divided, not over doctrine, but they're divided over preferences, over taste, over choice, over background, over tradition. In fact, I was reading some statistics just recently that said here... In America alone, there will be some 1,500 to 2,000 churches that close their doors in the next 12 months over division linked to or related to someone's preferences. The carpet color, the wall color, what kind of music they have, if they have drums or they, they don't have drums, or, or only hymns or only contemporary. 2,000 churches in America will close their doors in the next year because of preferences because of preferences church that's scary all too often preferences have little or no scriptural grounds and that's for whatever reason that we use to become the test of fellowship in church do you agree with the same type of wall color that i want in the building and if you do then we can be friends if you want the same type of music we can fellowship together why is that the test why Instead of learning to love, and instead of learning to allow for differences in the church, we have imposed our preferences or our position on people and we have robbed them of their freedom in Jesus Christ. Too many people have tried to enslave others to their personal way of living and thinking instead of pointing them closer to Christ. Instead of that. You know, as believers, we have a tendency to push our preferences and our personal convictions and our positions on people. And in in doing so, that we become harsh, we become rigid, we become controlling and judgmental and unloving. In fact, every one of those words that I just described to you were the actions of the Pharisees in the Bible. We become pharisaical in our thinking because we believe that our preferences are the most important preferences out there. Church, I want you to write something down. Your preference is not as important as your disposition. Your preference is not as important as your disposition. When we begin to criticize and critique and cut down and try to change people to our way of living and thinking, you're failing to come alongside people and helping them grow. You're not really loving people, you're just pushing them to be more like you. Jesus said, make disciples, not indoctrinate people with our way of living make disciples. And discipleship is based upon truth, and it's not my truth or your truth or their truth down the road. It is God's truth. Discipleship is based upon the word of God. And so we're not here to indoctrinate people as to what we think is right or wrong. We're here to teach people the truth of God's word and allow the Holy Spirit to convict them in their own personal life. Amen, church? There are a lot of things, though, that are what I would maybe label hot button issues in Christianity. Hot topics, so to speak. And before I address a few of them this morning, I want to just say something. Please, please do not hear what I did not say as I begin to walk through this. Please don't walk away from today saying, my pastor said that I am free to indulge. In any, any topic that I discuss, we must always remember the wise words of Paul that all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things beneficial. So we may be sitting in here this morning in a topic that I know that I have uh, briefly had an opportunity to address in a Bible study setting is what about the topic of drinking? What about the topic of of drinking alcohol? The Bible does not explicitly prohibit drinking, but it does say not to be drunk with wine. It does say that, meaning that we should not allow ourselves to be altered mentally in any way, shape, or form. I would also like to point out for those who like to take the argument of, well, the Bible tells us that we are allowed to drink, just not to be drunk. I just want to throw this out there to you for those of you who may not know. The alcohol that is addressed in the Bible is vastly different than the alcohol that we have here in our culture. In fact, one glass of alcohol was one part wine to three parts water in the Bible. One part wine to three parts water. So you're talking about a grape flavored water is what they were drinking in the Bible. Why did he address the the do not be drunk with wine? Because it became excessive in the lives of people. We altered the way that it was supposed to be drank in the Bible. That's why people were getting drunk off of it. Now, I just want to point out something to us. Someone once told me years ago in church when the topic of drinking came up, someone said that the only difference between a Baptist and a Catholic is that the fact that a Catholic will talk to you in the liquor part of the store. That that's essentially the perspective of a non believer. I know the people who go to Catholic Church, they'll talk to me when I'm standing in the liquor part of the store, but the other Christians who drink, they won't. And that's a sad reality that we face here in our culture is the fact that we want to take positions and argue over whether or not someone should drink or not drink, or have wine or not have wine, or, or whatever it is, when in fact the Bible does not explicitly prohibit it. What about smoking? What about smoking? A huge, huge issue and problem in our culture. You would be floored to know that many of the great theologians and hymn writers of yesteryear all smoked pipes. All of them. They all did. The, one, the unique things about them is the fact that they didn't allow their life to be controlled by a substance. That's what was different about their life. They never allowed, it was never something that I had to have, and I need to have it right now, and my life won't go on without it. What about dancing? I remember when I was a child that dancing was seen as sinful in our church. What about playing the lottery? People would see that as gambling, and they would say that it's a sin to gamble, but I don't know any church or pastor that would refuse a tithe from someone who just ran a, or won a million dollars. I don't know anybody. What about tattoos? Ooh. The topic that scares everybody what about piercings what about it i I wonder if we've become so much like the pharisees that we don't even realize it i read a book just recently that said if you can't figure out who the pharisee is it's probably you It's a good thing that we are saved by grace. It's a good thing that we are saved by grace. Church times have changed and culture has changed, but the truth of God's word will always remain the same. It will always remain the same. And if we find ourselves having to have one of the things mentioned in our life, and we have to have it, the chances are is that we've made that an idol in our life. I have to have a drink. I have to have a cigarette. I have to have a tattoo. I have to do this. I have to do that. If you've come to that place in your life, chances are that you've idolized something that was not meant to be an idol in your life. Church, if you can't stop thinking about something, if you plan your entire day around something, or it takes away time from your relationship with God or from your relationship with other people's, I would reconsider your thoughts on that one subject, whatever it is. It's different for every person. In fact, it was the prophet Jonah that said, those who cling to worthless idols turn away God's love. Our text that we are going to be addressing today is going to talk about some of these issues and problems and after 11 chapters in the book of romans uh, of doctrine paul begins to get immensely practical and these last few chapters of romans is where the application of doctrinal truth is learned and how we live out that's what we that which we are taught in scripture how do we live out the the, the the thought of receiving one another or live or loving one another or the topic that's gonna to get real dicey? How do we forgive one another in the church? How do we do that? And so Paul tells us here in Romans chapter 14, verse number one, he starts out by saying, and bear with me, we are going to read through the entire chapter. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. to God. Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Church, I want you to note this. He says it is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that we have, keep between yourselves and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. You know, Paul knew that he was dealing with both weak and strong believers in the church when he wrote this. And he knew what he was going to do and how he could preserve unity amongst those believers in what he wrote. You know, church, there is nothing more damaging to the spiritual and moral health of the church than sin. Nothing more damaging than sin. Nearly equal to that are the attitudes and the behaviors of individual members of the church that can destroy fellowship and ruin the fruitfulness that God wants to see in the lives of that church. Matters of personal preference and historic tradition should not cause a church to divide. Ever period should never cause a church to divide. God c- called for unity in the church, not uniformity. Church, I want you to write this down in essentials unity and non essentials liberty, but in all things charity. In essentials, unity and non essentials liberty in all things charity. In all things charity. One of the key ways. To unity is through maturity and that is the underlying point that we see here in scripture we only and i want you to if you would just please leave that on the screen for me for just a moment we will only truly receive others when we have matured in the faith saint augustine is the one who coined the phrase that is on the screen in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and all things charity. He meant that in the essentials of the gospel, the church should be united on all fronts. How do we get to heaven? Who saves us? On the essentials, baptism, communion were essentials in the early church days. They were essentials. In non-essentials, things that will never affect the way or how I get to heaven are the non-essentials of scripture. Like, i.e. the version of the Bible that you read is a non-essential. Unless that version leaves out scripture or it steers you in some place that is not true. Which there are versions of the Bible out there, church, that do that very thing. But in everything, whether it's essential or non-essential to the gospel, in everything we are to love one another. We are to love one another. And in this context, is specifically within the walls of the church, The church is to be the picture of God's love to the lost and dying world. And so the church then and the church now is a a mix of people from all different walks of life and all different backgrounds. And the weak believers in the church were becoming legalistic. And they were desiring to follow a very ritualistic system that they knew through Judaism. And that's why Paul is saying the things that he did. But the strong believers that he's writing to, They were liberated and they desired to live in any way that was not sinful. They desired to live in any way that was not sinful. You know, Paul knew that the key to solving issues among the people of God was to lead them to spiritual maturity. Not point out everyone's mistakes and their faults. Lead them to spiritual maturity. Spiritually mature people have the capacity to approach every controversial subject with grace and wisdom and love. Mature people are not quick to label other people. Mature. I don't know about you, but I have found that it can become so easy to occupy myself with someone else's sin that I conveniently overlook my own. We, we have a tendency in our flesh to judge other people's behavior, but we fail to see that our behavior is equally as bad as theirs, if not worse than the other person. I have found that many times we judge others by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intentions. And so this morning, I need us to see here in Scripture that we receive one another. The first thing I want you to see is that we receive one another by refusing to judge people based on preferences. We receive one another by refusing to judge people based on preferences. I'm not talking about judging sin here. And I will hopefully have an opportunity in the coming weeks to talk about how we restore, we restore one another. Paul's not talking about judging sinfulness here. Yes, if God condemns something and he calls it sin, then that's what it is, period. There's no other chance or change to it. If God calls it sin, it is sin. We don't make the rules, but we need to obey them and we must agree with God concerning them. The issues here in the text are not sin issues. They are preferential issues. They're they're over food choices and holidays in that day and time. Some people did not want to eat certain foods or celebrate certain days where others did, But the point is very clear. Look back with me at verse number 3. Look back at verse number 3. He says, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. For God has welcomed him. To receive someone is to welcome them joyfully, not judgmentally. Is to welcome someone joyfully, not judgmentally. You know, we have no right to force our preferences on other people and try to control them and then judge them if they don't do it our way. You know, we, um, many if not all of you know that we spent 10 years prior to being here in um, the state of Florida doing ministry. And we lived, uh, how many of you in here have ever heard of Bush Gardens? You know what Bush Gardens is? Yeah, so Busch Gardens was not too far away from where, uh, where we lived, and we had a few people at our church um, who would not go to Busch Gardens, and they would not go to SeaWorld or Universal Studios in Orlando. They wouldn't even go to Disney because Disney supported drinking and homosexuality. They wouldn't even go. Oh, they, wouldn't say, you, you, like you, they would not be caught dead in any place uh, that supported those things. Now, it would be wrong of, of my family and I uh, to show up to Bush Gardens one day and take a selfie with the picture of Bush Gardens behind it and then text it to those people and say, Just enjoying my liberty in Christ. It would have been wrong of us to do that. In fact, I have a missionary friend who every time they come to the States would would refuse to go to any restaurant that had any type of liquor or open bar in that restaurant. He refused to go. And they never ever one time made a big deal about it. Why? Because for years he struggled with alcoholism. And I would never, ever, ever want to place him into a position that he would be tempted on account of me wanting to go eat at this one specific restaurant. Church, there are some things that people will do that you would never do. And there are things that you do that are other people would never, ever do them. Never. And we need to stop worrying uh, and wondering about what and why people are doing the things that they're doing. If it is not sin in the eyes of God and God has not condemned it, then we as a a body of believers should just keep our mouth shut. Just stop. Seriously. In John chapter 21, Peter was told by Jesus that he was going to be used greatly by God and that he would also suffer and die. Do you want to know what Peter's response was to Jesus? He looked at John and he goes, what about him? What, what about him? And in essence, Jesus says, don't worry about John. That's none of your business, but follow me anyways. But follow me anyways. And in verse 8 here in our text, Paul begins to emphasize our union with Christ. And from our union with Christ, our unity with others begins to flow out of that. Look back at verse number 8. He says, for if we live, we live to the Lord and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So, the second thing I want us to see in the text is that we receive one another by refusing to be a stumbling block. By refusing to be a stumbling block. Look back at verse number 13. He says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know, and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died." So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, a stumbling block is an obstacle that causes detrimental damage to a person's spiritual well-being. That's what a stumbling block is. It means that you do or did something that tripped up another person. In essence, you put something in someone's path And you caused them to stumble. You obstructed their growth, is what Paul is talking about. How many of you are familiar with the term obstruction of justice in our legal system? Obstruction of justice. It is where an individual knowingly impedes or hinders an investigation and stops or delays justice from occurring. Church, when we become a stumbling block in the life of a brother or sister, we are impeding and hindering the work of God in their life. Amen? When we become a stumbling block, we're stifling them from growing and making the Christian life a very difficult journey for those individuals. I want you to write this down. Our goal is to help people uh, progress in their walk, not regress. one of the ways that we do this, and this is probably one of the most difficult things to do in, in the Christian life, but one of the ways that we do this is by surrendering our right to indulge in our preferences. We're surrendering our right to indulge. Just because you can do something, church, doesn't mean that you should do it. Just because you can. Look back at verse number 17. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 19. So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Look at verse 21. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. We are told as believers to follow righteousness and peace and joy. And these things are not so much external, but they're internal and eternal in the life of a believer. That is what leads us and keeps us from becoming a stumbling block to somebody else. Do you notice the, the progression that Paul uses here of righteousness? He's, he's doing the things that honor God and saying those are the right things. The things that honor God. Peace, churches, is, is not just internal peace, but it's inter- personal peace with others its interpersonal peace with others and then joy comes and joy comes from living the gospel and seeking to live a godly life these things that paul points out in scripture they're the the outward marks of god's presence in the life of a believer You know, we we oftentimes look at scripture and we don't see or realize the relational aspects that are constantly stained in the pages that we read. Paul is addressing the very relationships of believers. If we are to receive one another, there will be times that even though we can or we could do something, it is best not to do it. And if we do, then we're sinning. Then we're sinning. There's a a verse that's going to hit the screen for you. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 through 13. And it says this, Be careful, however, that that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all of your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against what, church? It's on the screen. You sin against whom? Christ. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall Paul is addressing the very thing in the church where believers say, well, this is my liberty. This is my, I have the opportunity to do whatever it is that I want because God does not explicitly call this sin. And guess what? That attitude oftentimes damages and hurts other believers in the church. And in fact, they, they uh, have a statistic report that comes out in January of every year by the Christian Research Institute. And every year this, this um, entire like 45 or 50 page report comes out about statistics relating to the church. Do you know what the number one reason why people leave or get offended in churches and don't go back to Christianity? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is t- typically number one or number two. Hypocrisy is at the top of the list. We tell people, don't do this, and don't do this, and don't do this, and then we go and do those very things with our lives. You shouldn't drink, but I'm going to go home and drink. Shouldn't smoke, but I'm going to go home and smoke. We do those very, very things, and people look at the church, and they look at Christianity, and unfortunately, they see a group of people who don't stand for anything, and they fall for everything. That's what they see as Christians. And it's sad because we're living in a culture and a time where people need Jesus. People need to see Christians rising up unified under what is true. We should stop looking at our own preferences and start looking at the hope that we can bring to people who are lost and dying. Imagine if you stood before God right now in this moment and you realized how much your preferences have caused people to either sin, stumble, or not come to Christianity. Imagine if we had a moment where we had to look at everything that has occurred in our life. I believe it was two weeks ago that I stood up here at the close of the service and said that every single thing that we have done and said has been put into a memo in God's keeping and we will have to be addressed one day in front of God for everything that we did and said in this life. We will give an account, church. All that we are free to do does not mean it is wise to do it. Everything is lawful not everything is beneficial. Everything is lawful, but not everything is beneficial. You know, it may not be a sin, but it may be unwise for you to participate. It may be unwise. Why? Because you run the risk of becoming a stumbling block for somebody else. You know, it's a question this morning as I begin to land the plane. It is a question of of whether we will be selfish and self-centered or we will be selfless and other people oriented? Am I willing to be selfless? I want you to look back with me at verse 22. He says that the faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself For what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Church, I'm going to make three statements. They're going to hit the screen and they're going to linger there for just a moment. I want us to allow for these three statements to be tattooed upon our hearts before we leave here today. The first one is this that anything God condemns is sin. No questions asked. Anything that God condemns is sin. The second one. Anything that God condones is safe. Anything that God condones is safe. And I don't want you to miss the last one because it's probably one of the most important ones for our lives. And the third one is anything that God is silent on is a what church. Say it louder. It's a choice. Anything that God is silent on is a choice. We only ever make godly decisions and choices when we are not violating the conscience with inside of us. As believers, our our conscience is under the control and the influence of the Holy Spirit, meaning that God has placed inside every one of us a warning system that brings about conviction in our lives, and that is the Holy Spirit. And when we get ready to do something wrong, when we get ready to do something sinful, The Holy Spirit will activate and send a message of conviction to you in your life. And you have a choice in that moment. Am I going to respond to God or am I going to respond to self? There is a... um, Years ago there was a conference that I used to attend, a pastor's conference. And um, one year I had the opportunity to go to Atlanta and we lived just outside of Tampa, so it was about a six-hour drive, and uh, my mentor, uh, his name was Chad, um, he and I decided that we were going to drive the six hours instead of fly the, you know, 55 minutes from Tampa to Atlanta. We wanted to drive and take, take some time to just to be able to have conversations and have ministry uh, discussions and, and whatnot, and And his wife had just purchased a brand new car before we went. And he wanted to take that. It got better gas mileage. And so we get in this new car and we take off. And um, I'm driving down the road in the car. And we took turns driving back and forth. And I'm driving this new car, beautiful Toyota Camry. It was absolutely gorgeous. Leather interior. It had all the bells and whistles. And and for a moment, I was like, ooh, I'm a bit jelly, because I want this. Um, But we're driving down the, the road, and all of a sudden, something started to occur in that car, and I instantly had this thought, I don't want this car, I hate this car. But what happened is, I kept hearing this beeping noise in this vehicle. Every time you'd get too close to the center line, the car would beep. Every time you'd get too close to the outside line, the car would beep. Anytime you got too close to another car, the car would beep. And I was like, Chad, I'm like, what is that beeping noise? And he goes, that's to warn you. And I'm like, it's annoying. Like I'm driving down the road. I can't even focus because that's like every time in my ear. I can't even focus on what I'm drawing. I'm like, can we shut it off? And he's like, well, sure, but then you're not safe. And in the moment, I thought he was just antagonizing me because we had uh, that type of a relationship. We'd worked together for so long. um, We just, we were like brothers that would antagonize and annoy each other. And he said, Josh, I've been driving since before you were born. And even though I've been driving since before you were born, sometimes I still drift into the other lane unintentionally. Sometimes I follow too closely to another car. And he said, I I don't want us to be in an accident, and I don't want to cause an accident. And as I sat there, In my flesh thinking that's the dumbest excuse to have this beeping thing going on in the car. I felt like the Holy Spirit was sitting in the back seat just tapping on my shoulder. And I began to realize something in the life of a believer. Oftentimes in my own life and I'm assured that this is probably something that resonates with all of us. The problem that we often have is that we want to switch off the Holy Spirit in our life. We we can grieve the Spirit. We can quench the Spirit because of disobedience and it begins to silence His work inside of our lives. And when we do that, when we we silence the Spirit, we not only end up suffering, but we cause suffering. Suffering. In the lives of other people, we become a stumbling block the moment that we no longer respond to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. I love what Luke recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 24. He says, I always take pain to have a clear conscience before God and man. I always take pain to have a clear conscience before God and man. I want you to write down one last thing, church. A clean and a clear conscience with God will always result in us receiving one another. Always result in us receiving one another. I don't know where you are this morning. My intention with this sermon... um, was not to tell our church that we um, are terrible at receiving one another. It was a challenge for us to grow in our receiving of one another. One of, the, one of the drudgery zones of ministry is dealing with the issues and problems that arise because someone said or did something to somebody else because i was offended by somebody because i was hurt by the words of another person or the actions of another individual and as christians we are told to grow in these areas we're told to receive one another we're told to love one another we're told to forgive one another and yet christians in a lot of ways, have more trouble doing this than non-Christians. I, as a pastor, want nothing more from our church than to be a church that exemplifies the character and embodies the nature of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we've had this this opportunity to see in Scripture how we are to receive one another. And I wonder if there's been opportunities for us to put these into place in the past and we've just not done it. I wonder if there's been opportunities when we could have said and done something differently and in our flesh, uh, not spirit-led, we have said and done, done things to other people. Because of our preferences, because of our traditions, because of our, our whatever it is. And I wonder if, no I don't, I don't wonder, I don't, I don't wonder at all. The Holy Spirit is wanting us uh, to be on a path in which we head in the same direction under the, the banner of Jesus Christ. The banner of, of Christ in, in the truth that our church stands for. And so I want to challenge you as your pastor as we leave this morning. There, maybe there's somebody in here right now. Maybe they're not here today because they're traveling or because they're sick. But maybe there's somebody in here today that the Holy Spirit already brought an instance or a circumstance to your mind today that you need to go and make right with somebody else. You need to go and, and apologize and, and ask forgiveness because their preference was different than yours and it caused an issue or a problem. There's contention between you. There's tension between in the body because of it. And I wonder if, if today will be the day. I'm not going to call you here to the platform. Um, I'm not going to make a, a, um, a mockery um, uh, of our sinfulness. Um, but I, I, believe, I believe the Holy Spirit has been working today. Um, I know he has because Satan has been fighting um, on me bringing out some of these things all week long. And so church, I'm going to challenge you as your pastor, don't leave here today uh, without doing what you know is right, without making it right with the people here in our church body. um, We can't grow as a body under the heading of unity and the banner of Jesus Christ if we're at odds with one another. We're all sinful. We're all going to let each other down, myself included. In fact, I'm the chief sinner right here in this church. We're going to offend one another. We're going to hurt each other. But we have to learn to still love one another like we learned last week. We still have to learn to receive one another. And as we will learn in the future, we have to learn to forgive one another. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in this place, Lord, and we just thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the challenge that we see here in Scripture. And God, I'm asking for boldness for us to respond to the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that we would not be like the people that Paul talked about in the church of Corinth, of being those who have seared consciences. We no longer respond to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so, God, I'm asking that you would continue to use your truths to, to change us, to shape us, to grow, grow us and, and mold us as we, we are clay, Lord, in your hands. So take all of the broken pieces um, and, Lord, mend, mend us. Shape us and and inform us into something new and and something fresh as we continue to seek after you for life change. Help us, Lord, to become um, not just fishers of men, but disciple makers of the people around us. Help us to impact our circles of influence, God, and, and help us to be a beacon of hope and light here as we connect people to you in everyday moments of life. And I ask and pray these things now in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Amen.